Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each Thursday, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. Enjoy the show! On Thursday, November 15th, the Ohio House of Representatives passed a six-week abortion ban. The bill heads to the Ohio Senate. For today's show, we have audio from floor speeches from six members of the Democratic Caucus. We're going to be playing these for you. You'll hear Representative Nikki Antonio, Representative Kristen Boggs, Representative Michelle Lepore-Hagan, Representative Stephanie House, Representative Catherine Ingram, and finally, Representative Bridget Kelly, all who gave amazing speeches in opposition to the bill. Visit us at ProChoiceOhio.org for more information, a link to contact your state lawmakers, and updates as we continue to fight this through the rest of 2018. Question is, shall the bill pass? The chair recognizes Representative Antonio. This bill is a bill to, uh, to have some pretty tough uh, penalties. It's a six-week ban on abortion. We know that. Um, we also know that we've just heard from, from the sponsors. Um, one sponsor talking about the celebration of life and the decision to become a parent and to celebrate, to celebrate the, the joys and the tribulations with that. Because um, no new parent uh, gets enough sleep ever. We know that and the other sponsor, to, to speak to the loss and how crushing that is to lose a child, um, to, lose, to lose the potential, um, all those dreams that you put into um, uh, the, 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 um, the arrival of that child. Um, so, so, we have, so we have those experiences. There are 11 million people in the state of Ohio. None of us can know the experiences of all of the people in the state. We have a tough job. We're constantly trying to pass policies that we believe will be the best thing for the majority of people. Um, we are divided. We are divided on this issue every time it comes up, every time we have a debate. And I know that in this chamber, there is respect on both sides for the fact that we are on different sides of how we see this issue. It's not a sporting event. We don't put on jerseys with D's or R's or pros or cons or whatever it is. We know it's a serious, serious discussion that we have. I also know that this bill makes no exception for pregnancies re resulting from incest or rape. In most pregnancies, a fetal heartbeat can be detected as early as six weeks gestation, but often it's the case that a woman doesn't even know she's pregnant until after six weeks have lapsed, and or a fetal heartbeat is able to even be detected. 
This is especially true for women who are emotionally traumatized by rape. Such women have to make a plethora of critical decisions in the aftermath of their rape. Many can't anticipate a pregnancy arising from the crime against them. They're still dealing with the trauma of being assaulted. These women should not be forced to prioritize monitoring for a nearly detectable early sign of pregnancy over seeking counseling or injury treatment pursuing legal assistance, other critical services in the aftermath of sexual violence, nor should they be forced to carry a rapist child to term, because that's what this bill would force them to do. It's also concerning that the standpoint of pregnancy that results from rape within the context of domestic violence. Representative Boyd and I had have a bill we have talked previously about the, the heartbreak, the trauma of domestic violence. We must do everything we can to protect the victims of domestic violence. And yet, it's a common tactic for abusers to sabotage or withhold their partner's birth control, force them to become pregnant through rape as a means of further controlling them, and then to prevent them from accessing health care until after a fetal heartbeat is detectable. These are unintended consequences, I know, but they are, could be, consequences of this legislation. According to the World Health Organization, batterers who are physically violent with their pregnant partners are more likely to murder them, and pregnant women in violent relationships are less likely to access prenatal care. Women in such circumstances should not be forced to carry their pregnancy to term if they make the decision not to. Forcing a victim of rape or incest, some children as young as 11 years old to carry their rapist child to term is a further physical violation and an extension of the loss of control over her body that she experienced originally from the assault. If a woman wishes to carry a pregnancy to term under these circumstances, that's her decision, and it should be respected. But if a woman doesn't want to carry that pregnancy to term, she should not be forced to do so. Victims of rape should not have additional control over their bodies taken away from them. They should retain every existing safe, legal, federally permitted option to decide what is best for them. This is not an easy decision, but it should be a victim, a survivor's decision to make. Because it was not her decision to be raped or to be sexually assaulted in the first place. For the many victims who become pregnant through rape or incest and wish to keep their child, Ohio doesn't provide adequate custody pr provisions. We've tried, we've amended the provisions, specifically through positive efforts we did make in 2013 to provide some level of protection, but the efforts weren't able to go far enough to protect rape victims or the children conceived as a result of those heinous acts. As it currently stands, a rapist is only denied custody on the grounds of a criminal court finds beyond a reasonable doubt that a per the perpetrator raped the victim. This falls below the federal standard 
Rape Survivor Child Custody Act, which acknowledges the extreme difficulty of achieving a rape conviction because of unique evidentiary standards and issues or a victim's decision not to report the rape. Because Ohio's current law falls below the federal standard, a rapist who evades conviction, however narrowly, can continue to seek custody rights for the child resulting from rape until the child turns 18. This is untenable for the victim. It should, not be, it should be permitted, they should be permitted, to move on with her life. And dangerous for the child, who risks being handed over to a rapist or a perpetrator of incest. Victims deserve to have control over what happens to their body in the aftermath of rape or incest. For these reasons, we should not re-victimize these survivors. We should not take away their inalienable right to self-determination. I urge a no vote. Question is, shall the bill pass as amended? Chair recognizes Representative Boggs. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, I rise today in opposition of House Bill 258. Um, feels very much like we have been here before. And I can appreciate that we all hold our convictions on this issue very strongly. When I woke up this morning, I was thinking, what can I say about this legislation that I haven't said before already? Uh, the last time we debated this bill, uh, lame duck of 2016, I was pregnant for the first time, <laughs> also ready, just about ready to have a, a baby and enter motherhood. And I talked about the unforeseen difficulties in pregnancy that I didn't know about before becoming pregnant myself and the importance of allowing women to have the ability to make the best medical decisions for themselves and their families with their partners and their doctors. And I considered dusting that speech off again and maybe adding some parts about how becoming a mother and specifically becoming a mother to a daughter has only uh, increased my resolve about how important it is to allow women to be able to control when they enter motherhood. Um, motherhood should never be forced upon anyone. I believe everyone in this room recognizes the difficulties and the sacrifices and the privilege that it is to become a mother when you're ready, willing, able, and capable of caring for a child. And I think many of this room are very fortunate that we don't really understand the difficulties of becoming a parent when we don't have that support and we aren't ready, willing, and capable of caring for that child. Um, this morning, though, I was reviewing the bill and I was reading the summary and I noted that there's only one exception to this bill. And the exception is, uh, necessary to prevent the death of a pregnant woman or prevent substantial irreversible impairment of a major bodily function. And it goes on to note that a woman's mental health does not qualify 
as an exception to this bill. And I know I talked yesterday about my experience working with crime victims uh, in the Attorney General's office. And while I have admittedly always been pro-choice, there is nothing that makes you more steadfast pro-choice than working with victims of rape and sexual assault. And yesterday I talked about a victim who uh, was concussed and later had a stroke. These cases, they, they stay with you uh, forever. Today I'm gonna tell you about a young woman I worked with who uh, sought assistance from our office who was 13 years old. And she had been raped and she had found herself pregnant. She would have delivered the baby when she was 14. She did not know who the father of the child was because she had been raped by her father since she was 11 and she had been raped by her brother since for the past six months before she found out she was pregnant. And she told, the victim advocate for her told us that she had relayed to a social worker that she wanted to terminate the pregnancy because she was afraid that she would have a girl and that she couldn't imagine a world where if she brought a daughter into it, that her daughter wouldn't be raped by her family. And this young woman was so mentally uh, damaged and emotionally damaged. Uh, she had also indicated to the social worker that she thought if she found out she was having a girl, she might do something to cause herself harm, either to terminate the pregnancy on her own or to take her own life. And you can understand when a 13-year-old has only lived in a world where her reality has been such violence and abuse that she couldn't conceive of another option for a child that she would be bringing into this world. And I think about her and how it is so unacceptable to me that we could create policy that would prevent her from being able to determine that she was not ready to become a mother and access her constitutional right to an abortion. I will be voting against this bill today because I am pro-choice and I would be voting against this bill even if it made the exceptions for rape and incest. But I still think that this bill goes too far, it is too extreme when it doesn't include those exceptions for rape, incest, or consider the mental health and what we would be putting that potential mother through. I urge my colleagues to vote no today. Question is, shall the bill as amended pass? The chair recognizes Representative Laporhagen. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Move to amend. The amendment's in order. The lady may proceed. Thank you. May I speak to the bill and the amendment? Permission granted. Thank you. This amendment would make schools provide medically ad accurate 
information regarding contraception and condom usage in the protection against unintended pregnancies and sexually transmitted disease. Comprehensive sex education is important to actually reducing the number of pregnancies. If we prescribe a curriculum for all schools for sex education, studies have shown that there would be 50% less unwanted pregnancies. I am for preventing unwanted pregnancies. And I think a responsible government should reduce the need for abortion by increasing access to contraceptives and by fighting for accurate sex education. I have introduced a bill to require that we have a discussion about the curriculum across our state to teach our kids about sex education and prevention two times because I've only served in two GAs, but I know this bill has been introduced before I was here. And if we're really serious about preventing unwanted pregnancies, we need to have a conversation, but I feel like we're just ignoring the basic. We're ignoring our kids and we're not listening to the fact, we're not acknowledging the fact that we need to provide a curriculum for sex education in our, our schools across the board. And I guess this is our real standing our ground because today I'm standing my ground today for women in the state of Ohio to have a right to make a decision about their own bodies and to prevent unwanted pregnancies. I urge a no vote on this and I urge you to please consider conversations about prevention and the importance of prevention for unwanted pregnancies. Urge a no vote. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Question is, shall the motion be agreed to? The chair recognizes Representative Seitz. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I move that the amendment be laid upon the table. The motion is agreed to and the amendment is laid upon the table. The question recurring, shall the bill as amended pass? The question recurring, shall the bill as amended pass? The chair recognizes Representative House. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, move to amend sub House Bill 258, Amendment 3024. Uh, so my amendment, um, basically one of the things that this uh, proposed sub bill will do will uh, create a fifth degree felony for physicians. And I believe that um, physicians in all of the training that they go through and their experiences. Um, they are qualified to use the full degree of their experiences and we should not penalize people for providing care as, as they see fit. And so what this amendment will actually do will remove the criminal penalties for physicians. Um, I'm not sure um, if everybody received the letter provided by the Ohio State Medical Association. Um, they have sent to all of us, we are writing to express to members of the Ohio House our serious concerns regarding House Bill 250H, um, which will generally prohibit an abortion after a fetal heartbeat can be detected. It is the policy of the Ohio State Medical Association to neither promote nor oppose legislation 
legislative proposals related to the legality of abortion procedures. However, separate OSMA policy dictates that our organization opposes legislation that criminalizes or otherwise penalizes any medical procedure that is considered a standard of care. The OSMA is extremely concerned due to specific provisions of the legislation that allow for civil and criminal penalties for clinicians who provide medical care related to women's reproductive health issues. While the scope of medical practice is and should be under legislative control, determining the appropriateness for performing standard medical procedures has traditionally been and should continue to be left to the expertise of medical professionals. And I actually agree with that statement. We are legislators, not medical professionals, with the exception of a few in here. And so um, I would strongly encourage members of this body to support my amendment. And speaking to the legislation overall, um, it always amazes me how people um, talk about law. And my experience being here in this legislative body, the laws that we create are not based on right or wrong. They are based on protecting someone's interests at a moment in time. And so depending on who is in this body depend, um, and it, who is in control will determine um, what is quote unquote right or wrong. Many times um, in this legislative body, even currently right now, I believe there are 23 women compared to 76 men. I don't know any point in time in Ohio's history where we've actually had a majority of women in these halls that have made actual laws. I mean, have been the majority of the decision makers in making Ohio's laws. So as we talk about in our current um, laws of abortion being considered murder, again, I would believe that if it was a majority of women, we would probably have different laws currently um, that we, we would have current laws where abortion would be considered murder. But beyond that, as a person, and I always do the everyday person test, um, when you, if you go and talk to your everyday neighbors, asking people, would we want legislators telling people what to do? And the overwhelming answer would probably no, specifically when it comes to people's reproductive health. I do not need anyone in this building telling me what to do with my body. You do not feed me, you do not clothe me, you do nothing for me in that way. And so it is really, really, really unsettling that we have an obsession with telling people what to do with their body. You don't have to do that. We should really mind our business. We really need to mind our business and leave people alone when it comes to their decisions because we do not take care of them, period. And so, you know, with all due respect, I really kindly ask this body to mind their business when it comes to reproductive health and vote no against this bill because myself and many other women here in Ohio do not need your help to tell us what to do. Thank you and vote no on this bill, please. Thank you. Question is, shall the motion be agreed to? The chair recognizes Representative Seitz. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I move we lay the amendment upon the table. With 65 affirmative votes, 28 negative votes, the motion is agreed to and the amendment is laid upon the table. Question is, shall the bill as amended pass? The chair recognizes Representative Ingram. Mr. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, very much. Um, I plan to be very brief. Uh, but I want to remind folks that we are talking about a heartbeat bill and we are talking about life and that in my religion growing up, God breathed life 
into us. And so whether a person is breathing or not outside of that body is when that life comes in. So when people talk to me about murder and um, what else, manslaughter and things of that nature, be careful about how you're describing that about an unborn fetus. And it's that for a reason. God breathes life. If that mother, that woman, aborts that child, and you would call it murder or killing or whatever, then that is her business. It is her life. And she will have to be judged by God, and you will not be standing there. You will not help determine where she will live her afterlife. And for you to sit here and pretend that we are protecting an unborn child and saying that the mother's life doesn't matter, rape and incest and all of those other things. And I think what probably bothered me the most is when I sit here and we talk about abortion as big business. Well, I didn't hear that yesterday when we were talking about guns. Give me a break. If we're going to try and protect people, then let's do that. How about better funding for the ability to have good health care? And then let me remind you, too, of people, the story that Representative Boggs told about the young lady who said she might kill herself. That is very real, people. The young lady who went on and aborted on her own and had the baby and buried her in the backyard right here in Ohio happens in the garbage can, in the dumpster. Help me, folks. You are not God. You can't continue to play God. A woman's right for herself is to be able to make that decision and be able to make it with a medical practice that's legal and upfront. You guys, I, I'm old enough to remember hangers, liquids, shotgun pellets that women would take so that they wouldn't have the ab abortion. And we talk about this going on for a long period of time, absolutely right. I remember my great-grandmother saying once, I'm going to give the baby to the pea ants because she couldn't have it at that time because she was 13. So they do things. I assure you that why not just us figure out a way to do this thing right and stop trying to dictate how people should live their lives and whether they should have babies. I have two sons. My oldest son passed away nine years ago. It'll be 10 next year, 35 years old. And when you say that someone comes in, I've had a miscarriage. When you say that you have a baby that comes into the life stillborn, that is heartbreaking. But at any time in a life, we have to be very clear that this is not our responsibility to dictate how it happens. I oppose this bill and I will be voting no. Question is, shall the bill as amended pass? The chair recognizes Representative Kelly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, most people in this room have spent the last couple months talking to taxpayers all over the state about the future of Ohio, about how we can work together to move our state forward, 
talking to taxpayers and to families about the issues that are most important to them. And I don't really recall people shouting from the rooftops that one of their first priorities was going to pass, going to be passing one of the most restrictive, unconstitutional health care laws in the country. So I would say that in spend, instead of spending time on a bill that's unhealthy and that is incredibly divisive, that we should be considering bills that strengthen women and families by increasing access to health care, not restricting it, that we should spend our time on issues that reward the hard work of Ohioans with fair tax policies that grow our economy from the middle out, and that we should spend our time building more opportunity for Ohioans to have a fair shot at the prosperity and the promise of our state. Instead, restricting the personal responsibility and the right for individuals to make important health care decisions with their doctor is not the role of government and is not how we should be spending our time. When families are facing impossible, impossible options and complications that probably most people in this room can't even imagine, those families and those doctors should be allowed to make the choices that are best for them and for their families. We, sitting here in the walls of the State House, should not be making those decisions for them. We shouldn't be sitting here cutting access to health care, putting vulnerable women in our communities at risk. Instead of controlling access to health care, we should be introducing bills that help women and families by increasing access to family planning, by making sure that people are paid a living wage, and by ensuring that women in Ohio have access to paid maternity leave and sick time. Those are the real policies that help women and families in our state, whether they are babies or teenagers or adults. And I'm going to close uh, with part of one of the hundreds of messages that uh, we got in our office in opposition to this bill. This message was actually from someone who's not a constituent of ours, uh, but felt like her voice wasn't being heard. Uh, she lives nearby to our district and wanted to talk about her opposition to this bill. And she is a middle class, 50-ish, Catholic, soccer mom. And she said, I hope you are advocating for women and women's reproductive medical safety. Myself, when I was pregnant, I thought I was pregnant, but then I had breakthrough bleeding. I thought I wasn't pregnant, but then it turned out I was. What wasn't fully understood is that I was eight weeks pregnant, and most women didn't even realize at the six-week mark, I think this is a grave situation for women who find themselves pregnant and without any options. People without options are desperate, and desperate women can die. I implore you to join me in voting no on this legislation today.